Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Greenleft is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio, um, and on the line we have myself, Jacob, and Zane as your host this morning. Aloha. How goes it? Right. Um, guess before we announce what's coming up, um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Uh, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present, um, and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, and um, FreeCR and Green Left Radio, this program continues to support the fight back um, for the land and for sovereignty. All right, so um, I might get, um, we have a pretty packed program um, this morning. So we're going to be having an interview, um, doing an interview straight from Germany with Sibylla, um, who is a member of um, Delinka, a left party and stand and uh, anti racism group. Uh, I think it's Stand Up Against Racism. And we're going to be talking to her about the rise of the far right in Germany, which I think is quite an appropriate topic when you consider um, la- only just last week um, there was a recent um, bout of um, far right motivated violence. Um, and then on the other side of the continent, we're also going to be speaking to um, a woman from uh, a member of the Indian community um, about the recent developments um, that have happened in India, which is also being. Um, subsumed by um, this sort of rising kind of far-right kind of fascism. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing stuff. News coming out of India with the nationalist gangs running around and, uh, yeah, murdering Muslim people and um, overturning little street stalls from small, um, you know, fruit and vegetable sellers, small... Small business operators. It's uh, yeah, pretty scary stuff. The the kind of uh, Islamophobic frenzy that's been whipped up there by the the really far right wing government, BJP government of Narendra Modi. Right. Um. So yeah. So um. Zane, do you want to start off any discussions about any sort of recent developments that have sort of happened around the world or locally? Um, yes, well, um, a, a relevant subject would be if you are in, if you are someone who was involved in the blockade Imark protest, the, uh, police have been coming to people's houses of some of the people that were involved in that protest, uh, and saying that they want to interview people, perhaps claiming that they have some sort of, um, incriminating footage um so if the police do turn up to your house in that situation um 
give a no comment interview. That's the legal advice that the Blockade IMARC legal support team has been given. So that means you are required to give your name and address to the police. And apart from that, you are completely within your rights to say no comment to uh, everything and anything that they ask you. And the Blockade IMARC legal support team is very much recommending that that should be your response. So if you or anyone you know are contacted by the police, uh, you don't have to speak to them. You just verify your name and address and then you just say no comment to everything else that they say. And uh, then you should get in contact via the Blockade IMARC Facebook page and you can be pointed in the direction of uh, legal assistance. And uh, yes, I myself, the police, came to my house this week, and uh, I've, uh, I'm not going to comment much further on it, but what I will say is that uh, it's safe to say that the way that the police behaved towards protesters at Blockade Imark was absolutely over the top, completely heavy-handed. They were trying to start fights. They were being really violent towards protesters throughout, particularly the Public Order and Riot Squad, which is like a collection of the most uh, psychopathic and aggro individuals in the police force. They spent that whole protest... All we wanted to do was a symbolic protest linking arms, chanting and blocking the main entry um, to a massive fossil fuel convention. We've just seen over this summer, we're in a climate crisis. Is it really that surprising? Are people really that shocked that if you have a massive multinational gathering of fossil fuel executives, that people might want to protest that? Is that really such an affront to, uh, you know, it's a basic democratic right for people to have a climate and environment protest uh, when there's a big summit of mining and fossil fuel interests and execs. And that's what we were doing. We were peacefully linking arms, and the police response to that was to repeatedly try and break our lines and attack us and pepper spray us. And uh, evidently... That wasn't that wasn't good enough, and now they've been uh, making house calls to activists. And, uh, yeah, I won't comment much further on the specifics other than to say uh, the right to protest in this country is under attack. Democratic rights are under attack. You've got police uh, showing up with body cameras at the houses of activists, You've got police raiding the headquarters of ABC and we need to stick together and not be intimidated <coughs> by this rubbish because we need more protests in the face of the climate emergency, not less. So if you're at Blockade Imark and the cops show up, no comment, no comment, no comment. Let's just remember. Mm. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's definitely part of the, the ongoing trend um, to criminalise um, protest. And in fact, um, it's kind of interesting because Sydney, um, the state of New South Wales used to be wor- um, worse in terms of um, 
civil liberties and the right to protest, but they're uh, attempting to kind of implement um, similar laws to criminalise um, protest in Australia, especially around the sort of um, charges around unlawful assembly that are sort of going around. Mm. And yeah, that's there's an update on the Blockade iMark Facebook page. Apparently, Victoria Police want to try and argue that the entire Blockade iMark protest was unlawful and they're trying to employ some old-school anti-union or anti-picketing laws or something. So <laughs> I don't know what sort of uh, antiquated <laughs> legal argument they're trying to make. But, yep. uh, the best-case scenario that could potentially just happen out of this is it's just li- it's quite likely that or it's just as likely that the police are more or less trying to intimidate protesters and they won't be able to go through with the charges or the summons um, mm. to begin with because um, the purpose of a lot of these sort of interviews um, and interrogations is probably to gather information that could strengthen their case um, if they can't find uh, if they can't find the information to strengthen their case it's it's unlikely they'll be able to proceed much further than where they already are at. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, we probably um, won't comment any further on that because it's a moving feast, but, uh, yeah, if they show up at your place, no comment, no comment. Uh, all right, what, what else is uh, happening? What else is new? Mm, trying to think. What about the... Um Anything new with the US elections that you read about recently? Oh, very much so. So... I was very interested to hear Bernie Sanders, who um, is of who is Jewish, uh, said that he would not be attending the America Israel Public Affairs Lobby or APAC conference this year. That's significant because all U.S. politicians tend to attend this thing. And it's a like fiercely Zionist event, right? And they're always saying, hey, American government, please continue to give us vast amounts of weapons and cash so that we can continue to have a society which is um, shut off from our most logical trading partner, i.e. Palestine, and we can live in this kind of subsidized economic bubble and just periodically destroy the homes and infrastructure of the Palestinian people as we illegally and gradually take all of their land from them. So that's what APAC is about, the America-Israel Public Affairs Lobby. It's kind of like the um, the Institute of Public Affairs here. It's like they're kind of this innocuous-sounding name for a really uh, right-wing and uh, imperialist uh, lobby. So... Bernie Sanders said, I'm not going to speak at that because it's a forum for bigotry and uh, discrimination against Palestinians. Elizabeth Warren followed suit. And now uh, two other presidential candidates, apart from Sanders and Warren, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, have also said they'll be boycotting the APAC conference, which is a... Very significant development, I would say, because politicians always attend this thing. It's like there's a universal support, universal bipartisan support in the USA for the Zionist doctrine of 
slowly wiping out the Palestinian people and stealing their land. U.S. governments and politicians of all political stripes support that project and pledge to continue to provide weapons and cash to that process. And this is a very significant development that the leadership of Sanders has meant that now a bunch of these uh, U.S. Democratic candidates have have felt the need to also distance themselves from APEC. So hmm. very I, good to see. And I think it um, also shows, I think, the, the shifts in consciousness that has kind of happened as a result of a lot of the solidarity campaigning um, that Palestinian activists have done tirelessly in the U.S. because I do think that in some ways the U.S. is a bit of a different kettle of fish from, say, Australia, in that it is incredibly tied. Um, the ties to sort of the Zionist sort of lobby are much stronger in the US than probably anywhere else in the world. So the fact that they're able to, you know, even get um, po- mainstream politicians this far, which are still, in a sense, still wedded to the, um, the Israel establishment, I think is quite, is quite significant. <laughs> mm. All right, um, we might go um, play a quick um, few announcements and then we'll go move on to our first interview. Excellent. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mawbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Right, you're listening to um, Green Left um, Radio. Um, on the line, we have um, Sibylla, um, who is a member of Germany's main left party, Delinka, and is also an activist involved with, like, unfortunately, I can't really pronounce German, so I'll, I'll just pronounce the, the English name, which is Stand Up Against Racism. Um, and so we have her on the line to talk about the kind of recent trend of um, the rise of the far right in um, Germany. Um, so, yeah, good morning, Sibylla. 
Good morning to you. Not good morning for us, but good to be with you. Yeah, okay, morning, morning. Good. Um, your sound clear. Um, I guess the first question, Sibylla, is um, what can you tell us um, about this kind of recent shooting that happened in Hanu? Um, and I guess what was sort of the links um, to the far right in, um, what was its sort of links to the far right in Germany? Okay, so maybe just to um, sort of illustrate the most recent shooting, which is one of three that happened in the last nine months. And in that period, um, 12, no, 14 people altogether have died. In Hano, um, there was a 43-year-old guy. Hano, for the people who are not so familiar with German geographics, is in the western, the old so-called western part of Germany, near Frankfurt. And uh, there was a 43-year-old guy who had no prior convictions, wasn't sort of on the radar um, of the police. And he um, basically did a random attack on shisha bars. They are quite popular places for people, um, often Turkish background people, to hang out, so usually quite multicultural and also um, targeted uh, like what we would call a milk bar nearby, again, um, targeting people from non-German backgrounds. And he killed nine people in that episode. Um, He then went home and killed himself and his mother. Um, Now, as I said, he wasn't sort of on the radar, but he left an online manifesto type where he basically made it very clear that he was absolutely motivated by far-right ideologies and had racist motives for his killing spree. Mm. And have these kind of um, violent sort of attacks, not just, I guess, shootings, but I guess even sort of... um uh, violence against sort of um, you know people of color or Muslims have they often been a, a trend in are they um, have they been a trend in Germany for the past several years and of course are these attacks um, often linked to the far right? Yeah, look, it's actually only been last year that um, the federal government released a statistic on. Uh, murders that have happened, killings that have happened since reunification. Reunification of Eastern and Western Germany occurred in 1990. And the statistic they released last year was that in that period, since 1990, so almost 30 years, um, 83 people were killed. Now, I don't think that these statistics included those last 14 people that incurred Um, over the last nine months. So that already gives you a bit of an illustration that it's it's always been there. Um, Far-right attacks have always been there in Germany um, even prior to reunification and they've always been identified as far-right attacks. But it's definitely what's happening, um, you can pretty much say since 2015, I would I'd say, um, the attacks have gained a new quality. They're certainly more intense and the death rate is certainly a lot higher and they're very clearly ideologically driven. 
So they're, they're without a doubt, they're linked to the organized far right or individual people who absolutely identify with far right ideologies. Hmm. And um, yeah, one of the, um, I guess, going on to sort of the mainstream kind of far right, um, what can you tell us a bit about the level of support, I guess, for the AFD in Germany at the moment um, and the kind of politics behind their support? And actually, just as a bit of a random note, and this is just something I actually read on uh, on the way, um, like yes, just only yesterday, but apparently there is this... Um, there is this. I'm not sure how prominent this young woman is, but there is a the the far right have sort of come up with their anti Greta, who is apparently linked, um, who is German herself. Um, I think it's a 19 year old um, girl, um, and apparently she um, she's sort of linked to the AFD, um, but she doesn't personally identify with them. But I forgot the name of this particular person. But yeah, that's just sort of one interesting example of. Um, the, what the sort of far right we're doing in Germany. <clears throat> yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've written um, a number of articles about the um, AFD, the alternative for Germany, that's what they call themselves, um, um, in Green Left. So it's probably a bit hard to sort of summarise all of that. But let me just say that the, this party is a fairly new party. It started up in 2013. At that point, it was absolutely marginal and it um, was a bit of a hodgepodge of different um, people with a very strong and dominant, at that point, neoliberal stream. So they were anti-Euro, anti-European Union, and they all had racist elements in common, but the far right sort of found themselves um, in that new party outfit in 2013. They didn't have a lot of electoral results at that point. The electoral results really um, was sort of gradual over the next two years. And that all changed. It jumped. Uh, their, their support jumped after the huge re refugee crisis in Europe, 2015-2016. So that's when they were able to really harvest the seeds of the racism that had been prepared um, through mainstream politics, through social democratic politics and conservative politics in Germany. So in 2017, in the last federal election, they gained 12.6%. And that actually means they are the largest opposition uh, party in the German federal government now. And since then, there's been state elections and they gained very high results in the eastern states um, only last year. There were three elections that occurred last year. So they got like up to 27%. So electorally, they've um, been really exploiting the situation um, with, with refugees and basically fostering racism and um, stirring people's fears. Mm. Now, um, in terms of the support, so if you, if you think of support in terms of electoral results, you know, that's where they're at at the moment. Um, but, of course, the politics behind it has all been... Um, hasn't come out of the out of the blue like this is um, 
last 20 years in Germany or has seen massive austerity um, measures implemented through the mainstream parties. The, the gap between rich and poor has, has dramatically increased. And of course, um, there, there's a lot of economic insecurity. So the AFD has been successfully um, exploiting that context um, and, and using racism to, um, to basically incite more fear amongst people. I would say, though, that um, there is potentially a bit of a change with the most recent developments that we have seen. And certainly Hanau is one of those developments. And, and, and yeah, and, and that's sort of, maybe I'll come back to that a bit later when we talk about um, the response to the attacks. Hmm. And yeah, I guess um, that goes into guess the next question. I guess what has um, guess with this growing kind of far right, um, what is kind of the response of the left? I guess just in terms of like the existing social movements and also the response from the existing left parties. Yeah, look, I mean the. Um since 2016, pretty much, you can say that the grassroots, grassroots movement have been really strong, and that's old movements uh, that have been sort of reactivated. Um, Germany has always had a very strong anti-fascist movement, but that's been more um, sort of traditionally in the anarchist-type um, camp. But but these structures they're they're certainly active at the moment and they've they've um, you know regained momentum. But there's also a lot of um, broad coalitions and broad movements that have gained a lot of support over the last few years, and and they're very strong. And the most recent responses, including Hanau but also um, the most recent elections in Thuringia in, in one of the eastern states, in, um, the responses to events there have demonstrated how strong the, the movements um, against the far right are in Germany at the moment. The left party, sorry, I should say as well, um, that was part of the question, has always been very strong and really up until now, up until last week, the only ones in Parliament who have been calling out the racism of the AFD and calling outright no, um, not giving the AFD any platform for their racist slurs. And Zane, you had a question you wanted to ask? Yeah. Um, good morning, Sibylla. Good to, uh, good to be talking to you. Good morning, Zane. Good to hear the um the elections in hamburg which just followed shortly after the uh hanau attack uh the sort of the left so the equivalent i guess of the labor party the spd and the greens and the linke did quite well there was that sort of expected or do you reckon there was a bit of a a bit more of a a vote for those center left and left parties um following like kind of in response to the shooting yeah look i i'm glad you're asking um the question because hamburg was an important election and it was changed it was not only changed by hanau so yes definitely when hanau occurred there were massive protests of solidarity vigils all across germany 
So absolutely, that impacted on on the elections. But I think one um, one one development that has had and it's hard to sort of quantify whether a higher impact or whatever, but certainly the whole combination of the developments is what happened um, on fifth on the fifth of February in Turingia, when the um, elections that had just been held in Turingia in October, when they tried to elect a prime, like a state prime minister um, for that state. And what happened there, without going into details, I wrote an article about this, basically the AFD did a really sneaky little manoeuvre, which um, had the outcome that the F. DP, which is a small, um, smaller liberal outfit, which is a bit comparable in the Australian context to the Democrats, um, ended up winning the um, state premiership only because of the votes of the far right, of the AFD. And when that occurred, and this small party, it, it barely made it into state parliament in the first place, so it was the total hypocrisy and a total joke that they would state the state premier, um, that had such a profound impact on, um, on the grassroots, on the movements, where people just came out and basically said nobody should be voted in uh, with the support of the, the neo-fascists. Nobody can. And so within 72 hours, that person resigned from that position. So the whole maneuvering didn't work but what that had meant the impact of that situation meant that the fdp in hamburg did not manage to get voted in again so that they're not represented anymore on, on that um, in that state and the afd had a loss they they reduced their numbers so while they're still in in germany we've got a five percent um minimum they got 5.3%, so they just slipped in into the Hamburg state um, um, parliament. But they would have had significantly a significantly higher vote had it not been for Hanau, had it not been for the events that had just occurred the week before in Turingia. So this is what I was sort of alluding to a bit earlier, mm. like that there is potentially a little bit of a change um, happening at the moment where the AFD was really on the uh, on the ascent. Um, but now that there seems to be a break and certainly since since Turingia um, and Hanau, the mainstream media has been much more outright calling racism, calling out racism basically calling the AFD arsonists, like setting the fires, you know, there, there's one of the demands, popular demands in the movement now is that the AFD also shot, so directly linking, I mean, of course, the AFD was not directly linked um, to, the, to the shooter in Hanau, but basically illustrating that their politics have paved the way of all these individuals and and far right organisations um, acting out their horrific hate, hmm. Hmm. and 
something I, I'm wondering if there's been much discussion uh, following this uh, uptick in shootings by far right uh, ideologues uh, over the last year or so. Um, I watched a documentary on, I think it was on Netflix called NSU or National Socialist Unit, and that explores mm-hmm. this kind of um, intermingling and overlap between elements within the German police force and uh, sort of secret police, I guess you'd say, and neo-Nazi groups. This is more based in the 90s and, and early 2000s with a bunch of <laughs> killings of uh, mainly mainly Turkish uh, civilians by, by neo-Nazis and the role the police had in this. Is there much discussion? Because my understanding is that um, the, the police would probably like to say that's not a thing anymore. There's no overlap between the police and neo-Nazis in Germany anymore. But is this um, a, an ongoing kind of discussion uh, in, in the left and, and in anti-fascist f- um, circles in, in Germany? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in fact, I have promised Green Left an article on that. I just haven't quite gotten around to doing doing the research. So um, what you're saying is absolutely right. In fact, um, I haven't got the, the years in my head now of heart, but um, uh, around 10 years ago or so, um, there was an attempt to ban a far-right party um, in Germany, a different party. This is prior to the AFD. And it came to, um, it went to the courts and the courts decided that they were unable to um, make a ruling because it was obvious that the state security was so intermingled in the leadership of this party and in the leadership of the the far right that they felt the courts felt like they were unable because of the state involvement to make a ruling on this call to ban this party. So that just illustrates that there is very um, there's a lot of public uh, knowledge and public debate about these situations. There's a lot of calls to have um, more investigations happening but on the well there's certainly a section on the left that doesn't trust these investigations in the first place because um they're just assuming that um the state will cover the state the state investigating the state um Mm. if you like nonetheless we still think or I guess I'm part of, of those people that believe that it's still important to um, to have these demands, to have these investigations happening, to make sure that um, more publicity is is coming out and that media, the media gets more information about this. But the other thing I just might want to mention on this um, issue hmm. is um, not that long ago, um, one of the um, better newspapers in Germany actually did a study and they um, basically uh, came up with um, the links of um, staffers because the AFD is now um, the, the largest opposition party in federal parliament. They, of course, have a lot of staffers working in Parliament, and they found out that of 30 
of 300 odd staffers that 83 of them were members of far-right groupings and part of some of these groupings that you're sort of um, referring to that are organised, for instance, in, within the police but also within the military. So there's been, um, there's been some media coverage about this. Some of these organisations, some of these groups, sometimes their associations, they have been named, but there's not a lot of information and um, in terms of their actions, there's, there's no um, investigations, there's um, at times calls, sometimes some of them get banned or closed down, but there's so much more um, that has to come out on that, on that issue because um, certainly when it comes to um, the police involvement, and links to high department officials, um, for instance, working in um, security, um, like domestic security level, um, all of this stuff comes out to the fore every so often. Um, but there's there's heaps more that we just don't know at this stage. Mm. Yeah, and getting into sort of um, the kind of last question to sort of type the, um, this into um, conclude the interview. Um, I guess I wanted to sort of um, ask about what are some of the um, what is sort of the, the key sort of political arguments I guess that are being put forward by the left I guess as a counter to to sort of the, the far right sort of gender in Germany. So um, I've, I've already mentioned that um, in the last week and a half, the, the mainstream media has really changed its tone. And is is much more willing to um, to use the word racism in the first place, and to call people racist, and to demand for racism to be um, to be confronted in daily life and stuff. And this is also the political parties are doing this as well. The SPD has to do this now. The CDU has to do this now. Everybody is trying to distance themselves at the moment with, from the AFD. And that's one of the key demands of the left, that um, given this recent example in Thuringia, where the AFD managed to manoeuvre strategically in a very clever way um, to get this... Um, person from a tiny party elected as state minister, the calls from the left are that there is no, there can be no collaboration with the AFD, there can be no coalitions with the AFD, and just basically shaming it and just uh, making it very public as soon as there are any elements of um, collaboration with the AFD, AFD. So that happens on national level, but it also, of course, happens on local level. And on local level, where the mainstream media isn't present, where there's a lot less attention, media attention on what happens, um, we, we can see collaboration in particular from the CDU with the AFD and also the FP, uh, FDP already, um, of course, um, on, a, on a daily basis. We can see it constantly that they are voting the same way, voting the same politics. So it's, it's one task of the, the left to um, just bring this to the fore and make it public and just put so much pressure 
on the other so-called democratic mainstream parties that none of this collaboration is happening. So these are just some of the um, the demands that are are being pushed forward at the moment. And really, of course, the ultimate aim is to um, get the AFD out of all parliaments, local, state and, and federal. Because this was how the Nazi party came to power back in the day. Yeah? They never had a majority, <laughs> but they were collaborating with the CDU um, back back in the day, yeah? Yeah, I mean, this is so funny that you're saying this because um, there is actually a quote. There is a quote from Hitler, and he said this on the 2nd of February, 1930. So this is very early days. Um, and the quote is where he is talking about Turingia, so the same state where we've just seen that debacle happening. And the quote was... Um, Turingia, I'm rephrasing now, um, Turingia has demonstrated that the mainstream parties can no longer um, govern without us. Um, we, have, we have made our political advances, something along those lines. So it's exactly the parallels are quite, um, quite striking. All right, um, we'll just conclude this interview. Do you have any kind of like final comments you'd like to make, Sibylla? Just to say that I'll continue writing for Green Left on the issue and, um, you know, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, okay. Wicked. Well, um, yeah, thanks heaps for speaking with us this morning. Uh, our no time. Problem. This evening, your no time. Excellent. Champion. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. Okay. Uh, All yeah. Right. Talk to you again soon. No problems. Have a All right. Uh, yes, uh, Zibila Kacharek there, uh, speaking to us live from Berlin uh, about the rise of the far right and uh, the resistance to them in, in Germany. Uh, we're just going to play a couple of announcements and then bring you some more. Oh, yeah. This might be the perfect opportunity to play that song you wanted to play, so... We'll oh, yeah. play some announcements and we'll play that song following afterwards. All right, cool. Underneath yeah, the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, oh, there yeah, is an old a... sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kalta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frog and lizard, they really know the mining company gotta go. The Lizard Returns Protestival 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. All right, so listeners, uh, I'm in a band called When Our Turn Comes. We've just released a new EP. 
Uh, we're launching it at uh, Cafe Gummo in Thornbury next Saturday night, the 7th. Doors from about 8pm if you want to come along. Uh, and we're going to play your song off it. This one's called Cages. They got open borders for corporations and there's open borders for tax evasion and there's open borders for these billionaire leeches who say travel the globe sucking the labour of the masses but you say open borders and they throw their hands up because what's good for the goose is clearly not good for the gander maybe we should give them a taste of their own medicine Lock up the rich in the cages they built because they got open borders for corporations and there's open borders for tax evasion and there's open borders for these billionaire leeches who say travel the globe sucking the labour of the masses but you say open borders and they throw their hands up because what's good for the goose is clearly not good for the gander maybe we should give them a taste of their own medicine lock up the rich in the cages they built and free the
Yes. Cages by When Our Turn Comes. Yeah, that was pretty good. Ah, cheers. <laughs> uh, all right, what else is new? All right, so I wanted to talk, um, this is from an upcoming issue of Green Left, um, but there has been um, a big major kind of development in um, Malaysian politics, um, which is actually still ongoing. But to give a bit of background, um, Peter Boyle wrote um, this article for Green Left um, with a bit of quotes um, from um, comrades over in Malaysia. Um, but this is like following the, the um, 2018 Malaysian general election, which was on the back of a sustained mass movement for democracy, um, ended more than 60 years of continuous government by a coalition of parties that were put into power by the former British colonies. Um, um, colonial rulers. Um, This election victory home carried particular hopes for a new Malaysia freed from corruption, inequality, injustice and repression of the old regime. However, one of the things about... um, about this um, electoral victory was it was sort of, it was based on a dangerous deal with the country's very old prime minister, um, Mahathir Mohamed, who basically made this offer late in the kind of struggle that to, to help topple the corrupt National Front Barisan Nasional um, BN government led by Najib um, Razak, if on the basis that if he was made P um, prime minister again. Then, so this new government got elected in 2018 and, you know, it, it, it implemented some democratic reforms and put the former corrupt um, prime minister and his cronies on trial. It has um, disappointed um, progressive civil society groups and left parties like the Socialist Party of Malaysia by continuing their neoliberal economic policy and failing to abolish repressive laws. The biggest party in the Alliance of Hope, the Multiracial People's Justice Party, is divided. Um, the central issue of difference is when and whether long-standing formerly jailed Rafmasara, um movement leader Anwar Ibrahim should take over as Prime Minister. While Mata, Matia Mohammed has publicly promised to hand over to Anwar, he has stub- he's stubbornly avoided saying when this would happen. And less than two years later, a split-off from the Alliance of Hope has reached, reached out to corrupt MPs from the former government to form, a new, um, to form a new government. The gambit was revealed publicly in a gathering of MPs and political advisors at the five-star um, Shearton Hotel on February the 23rd. The split group, which comprised of 11 MPs from the anti-Awa faction of the PKR and two 26 MPs from um, Mahirir's um, party, Malaysia United Indigenous Party PPBM. This move has been um, has been denounced as a coup, a backdoor coup attempt to form a new government with corrupt former um, ruling MPs um, desperate to be left off the hook for the crime. So, just a bit of a story is basically it's sort of like. Um, I guess to explain this situation, it's sort of like imagine. I guess if um, if um, Labor got elected. Um, and then the Labour Party leader decided to form a split faction oh, away from the Labour Let, Party. Let's call them, for the case of the argument, the Otis Group. Yeah, um, the Otis Group. And then they tried to form um, some kind of coalition with with the opposition party to their right. Right. 
and then they try to form a new government on that basis with no democratic elections, etc. So that's so basically Classy. So they basically that is exactly what's sort of happening in Malaysia. Mm. It's uh, like a soft coup. Baby. Yeah, it's basically mm. a soft coup, and essentially this move has been denounced as a you know a backdoor coup. Um, and in response, a group of young democ- pro-democracy a- um, activists with the um, with the endorsement of most um, civil society groups held night protests at short pro- um, um, at short notice in the iconic Independence Square in Kuala Lumpur on February twenty fifth. Um, the PSM deputy chairman uh, S Aru um, told Green Left that the current crisis highlighted the need for the empowerment of working class politics to battle the opportunistic. Um, elite politics currently shamelessly on the on display. They came in fancy cars and held discussions in a lavish hotel to scheme to gain power and steal the support of the MPs. And of course, the people are furious at politics and politicians. To them, all politicians are deceitful. This is what the public sees. And of course, Aru said that the PSM rejected such gutter politics and backdoor coups. And um, one of the one of the kind of things is. Um, that you know, since there, since this kind of development, there's been a furious scramble for parliamentary numbers to form a governing majority, with key political figures and parties having conflicting claims about having the numbers. Um, both Maria and Anwar issued statements on February 27th, effectively calling for MPs from other parties to support their bids to head new governments. And, you know, Matia's statement said he would form a government of national uni- unity made up of individual MPs rather than political parties, which is almost like a way um, a way of like, um, you know, imagine if, uh, if, um, if our political parties called for a government of national unity. So, yes, um, Labour and Liberals would then support this prime ministerial candidate while the rest form it and whoever has the most numbers wins. Um, and of course, Aru told um, Green Left that Martial had become even more arrogant before because, in the heat of the of the political crisis, all the major parties had rushed one stage rather to publicly support him to continue as prime minister. All this, um, all these parties claimed that this was in the interest of the nation, as the as the stock um, market and the ringgit Malaysia currency fell sharply. He said, um, but I guess, of course, and one. I guess one of the positive developments in this is, but even though as um, Maria was um, speaking on national television, the tide had already shifted, and as the former ruling BN coalition and its political party partner, the Islamic Party, withdrew their support from him and has called for fresh elections. Aru told Green Left um, that Maria has lost the mandate to form a new unity con government or former coalition government as he does not have the support of the majority of um, MPs. So, yeah, basically it's all gone into complete chaos and we're kind of not sure what's going to really happen next. Hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, it'd be good to, uh, yeah, maybe talk to Peter Boyle about that at some point and, yeah, keep an eye on that in green left. Well, hopefully we'll get someone um, entering directly from uh, Malaysia. On oh, yeah, subject. excellent. From PSM. Mm. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, should we play a couple of uh, announcements? It's getting pretty close to... Uh, the actress calendar. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We can play a quick announcement. The federal government has just announced plans for a radioactive waste dump in Kimba on Bangla country. 
BHP is expanding the Olympic Dam uranium mine. Now is the time to join the radioactive resistance. Hit the road with Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective as we travel to frontline communities and see how the nuclear industry impacts people. The Radioactive Exposure Tour will run from April 10 to 19 this year. More details on melbournefoe.org.au slash radtour2020 or contact us on radexposuretour at gmail.com. FOE's Nuclear Free Campaign is a 3CR supporter. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday Morning Breakfast Show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855am digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Welcome back. Oh, okay, so uh, maybe just before we get to the activist calendar, there is an article at Green Left, which people should check out, and my phone's being naughty, so I can't look at a copy of the article at the moment. Yep. But it's about this blockade of the News Corp printing press in Brisbane by uh, Extinction Rebellion and some other activist people. And they're making the pretty basic and uh, quite agreeable point that the Murdoch media are climate criminal scumbags. And, uh, yeah, they're blocking the the front gates, which I think is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, there's a story about that at Green Left. And watch this space, because it seems like there might be more protests along this line. And I think it's bloody fantastic. Uh, Rupert Murdoch has been operating above the law for far too long, doesn't pay any tax, stirs up all kinds of racism and uh, climate denial in the community, and it's just a disgusting um, right-wing propaganda outlet, and I think it's great that people are picketing it. Hmm. All right, um, so what's the time now? It is about to hit 8 a.m., well, yeah, if we just go with the activist calendar now. Let's let's do it early. We've yeah. often done the activist calendar late. Okay. Today so we're doing it slightly early. Slightly early. <laughs> so now it is almost 8 a.m. And so it is time for the Green Left activist calendar. Now, we got a film screening of Disaster Capitalism, um, which is a documentary by Anthony Lewinstein and for Noriyutu. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, which is a documentary revealing the dark underbelly of the global aid and investment industry. So that's going to be happening from 6.30pm with a meal from 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swamp, and it's presented by Green Left. And then on Saturday, there'll be a protest um, from Manus to the Matra. Let them out, let them stay. Refugees and asylum seekers brought from Manus for medical treatment have been locked up at the Matra Hotel in Preston, in some cases for almost a year. Others are behind the fences at the Broadmeadows Detention Centre, and this will be happening at 2pm at the Matra Hotel, 
215 Bell Street in Preston. And then there'll be an Air Australian Community um, Fundraiser, which is a fundraiser to bring Air Australian singer Rionica Solomon from the United States to celebrate Air Australia's um, National Day on May the 24th. There'll be a banquet meal with um, vegans and gluten-free catered for um, for $40, drinks not included, and music and entertainment at 6.30pm for a 7pm start. And it's at G's, um, which is a restaurant, which is at 718 Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um, and then there'll be on there'll be music, um, uh, there'll be a, a, a concert, Mabira um, Timor um, premiere Australian performance at 7pm at the Spotted Millard at 314 Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um, there's something happening on Sunday, you can tell, the, isn't the, aren't you doing a gig on Sunday? Yeah, so there's a gig at the Tote upstairs. Uh, it's a fundraiser for the Fireys, for the CFA, and it's a friend who um, used to be in um, Resistance and Socialist Alliance, Jess. She now works with a um, kind of social and environmental NGO in Amsterdam and is going to be visiting back in town and has put on a gig called Jess Fest in her own honour, but it's uh, ultimately a, a Fireys fundraiser and a chance to get together and have a few brews and listen to some music. Uh, my band, When Our Turn Comes, will be playing there. Uh, there's another band called Eliza and the Mansplainers, and, uh, which is a hilarious name for a band, and a couple other bands. So, yeah, it's from about uh, 3 o'clock at the Tote upstairs and goes till about 8 o'clock. So, yeah, come along for a Sunday fun day to raise a bit of spare cash for the CFA so they can keep their dust masks and fire engines stocked and fueled up. And on Monday, um, there's going to be an organising meeting for the Climate Justice Alliance Melbourne um, after they've organised their the successful rally that happened over the weekend. Um, they'll be having an all-in organising meeting where everyone is welcome to contribute ideas on what to do next. On Tuesday, March um, the 3rd, there'll be uh, a film screening at Gaza, a fundraiser for Palestinian children living under occupation at the Cinema Nova, um, 380 Ligon Street in Carlton. Um, There'll be a public meeting, stories of courage and sacrifice from Christmas Island. After spending um, five years working on Christmas Island as a torture and trauma counsellor, Christine Cummins found herself in the privileged position as the holder of stories. She had witnessed the arrival of um, thousands of men, women and children seeking asylum by boat and provided counselling and support to hundreds. And that's happening at 7pm at the new International Bookshop at Trades Hall. On Wednesday, March 4th, there will be a rally. Um, um, Hannah um, Hannah Clark, Melbourne, uh, for... Stop Domestic Violence will be highlighting the need for domestic violence to be declared a national crisis and call on the media and the police to stop portraying perpetrators as good guys have been pushed too far. That'll be happening at 6pm at the State Library. Um, on Thursday, March the 5th, there'll be a film screening, um, Dark Waters. Um, there'll be a public meeting on um, by Yanis Rafakis at 7.30pm at the Afrin Theatre. Um, and then on that same Thursday, there'll be the International Women's Day Rally at f- um, 5.30pm at the State Library. 
On Friday the 6th of March, there'll be a film screening, um, Pinkwashing Exposed. Countries like Israel promote themselves as gay-friendly to divert attention from the terrible human rights um, violations, in this case diverting attention from the brutal colonisation of Palestine. And they'll be happening at 33 Saxon Street in Brunswick. On Saturday the 7th of March, um, you can give details about this. For some reason, we forgot to include in the actors' calendar, your gig. Yes, so we've got an EP launch at Cafe Gummo, Saturday the 7th of March, next Saturday. Doors from 8 o'clock. If you've never been to Cafe Gummo before in Thornbury, it's at, uh, I believe it's 711 High Street, number 711. It's not actually a 711 outlet. Uh, number 711 High Street, Thornbury. It's a fantastic lefty dive bar. There's a bunch of anti-fascist and left-wing stickers and paraphernalia and flags and stuff all through the venue. And they support local lefty artists. And it's just a cool place. We're going to be playing some uh, some angry lefty music, uh, some trade unionist music, bring back the green bands. And we're going to be supported by another left-wing punk band called Monkey Butler. So... It'll be a festive evening, and you should come along. Mm. Okay, and happening on Tuesday, um, the Mar- um, March the 10th, there'll be a film screening, um, The Triangle Wars, um, the story of the battle between rage between... Oh, sorry. <laughs> trying to read an article there. <laughs> um, a film screening, The Triangle Wars, the story of the battle waged um, between local government, big businesses and the community over the development of a tiny sliver of Crown Land, the foreshore of St Kilda. That's happening at 7pm at the Kino Cinemas at Tuesday, March 10th. On There's also going to be another meeting that um, was just recently announced. Um, Workers for Climate Action are organising a meeting at the Caffeine Sims Library on Tuesday, I think... 5.30 or 6pm, um, and it's about um, renewable energy, basically what a publicly owned renewable energy system would look like. Excellent. When did you say that was? Tuesday, the 10th of March. Sick. The workers and students will never be defeated. And then on Wednesday, the March 11th, there'll be um, a discussion, Capitalism Has Failed the Climate, What's the Alternative? Um and that will be happening at on Wednesday, the 11th of March at 6.30pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street in the city, and it's organised by Socialist Alliance. And then on Friday, March the 13th, there'll be a rally, the um, student climate strike at 1pm at the University Climate Strike at 1pm at the State Library, um, and it's organised by Uni Students um, for Climate Justice. Um, and then on also on the same day, there'll be a march against Murdoch, Climate Truth Now, at 5pm at the Treasury Gardens, organised by Extinction Rebellion. Um, and then on Saturday, March the 14th, there'll be the Moreland um, Climate Fair from 10am to 2pm at the Balding War Bolden War Wilson Avenue in Brunswick. Um, and then on Tuesday, March um, the 17th, um, there is a public meeting, Existence as Resistance, How Does Our Identity Shape Our Daily Lives and Ultimately Our Politics? And that'll be happening at 6.15pm at the Wheeler Centre. And then on Sunday, um, March the 22nd, Actually, no, Saturday, March the 21st, um, there is going to be, I think, a rally organised by CAF marking anti-racism. I'm pretty sure that's at 
2 p.m. or 1 p.m. at the State Library, Saturday the 21st of March. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you updated about that as we get a bit closer to it. Yeah. And then on Saturday, um, there'll be conference, the Kurdish Freedom Struggle and the Ideas of Abalong Oxlon. Um, they'll be happening from 10.30am to 5.30pm at the Multicultural Hub, 506 Lewis Street in the city. And then on Sunday, April the 5th, there'll be the Palm Sunday um, Rally. Um, happening at 2pm at the State Library. So, um, the walk, annual walk for the refugees. Mm. Well, there you have it. Activist calendar. Things happening across Melbourne in coming days and weeks. I'll just play a quick announcement. And in the near future, we're going to be talking uh, about what's been happening in India, which is frankly quite scary. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes... It keeps going, you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 Okay, so this is Shebop. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen.
Right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio. Um, on the line, we have um, Gisela um, Ali, um, who is um, a member of um, the Indian community in Melbourne. Um, so we have her on the line to talk about, I guess, some of the recent um, protests that have kind of happened in um, India. Um, so good morning, Gisela. Hi, good morning. Um, so Gisela, I guess... Um, kind of start, um, what can you tell us, I guess, um, some of us have, some of our listeners have been probably following what's been happening in India already, especially with the recent protests, but what can you guess tell us a bit about some of the background on some of these recent protests that have happened, specifically in Delhi? Yeah, um, so my name is Gisela and I'm from New Delhi. Um, I'm born there, raised over there, but I've been living in Australia for a long time. So right now, there are 30 people that have been killed so far in the last three days. And it's New Delhi, which is the capital of India. It has turned into a battleground between Hindus and Muslims. They both are killing each other. So it was it's political, but now it has become, um, it's centered around Muslims and Hindus. And um, it's an unrest between, uh, mostly in the neighborhood where most Muslims are living. So it's, it's Hindu right wings, which are just not backing and targeting these suburbs. Um, so right now, Muslims in New Delhi are leaving their homes, their belongings. Uh, they fear violence. And um, they're Hindu terrorists. I mean, it, they say there's no such thing as Hindu terrorists. And they are burning their homes and businesses. Um, so just to... Um, uh, fearing they are putting a saffron flag in, uh, at at night, so that thing that they are not Muslim homes and businesses, they are just they, they belong to Hindus, so that they can be uh, spared. So it, it's all due to uh, from last two months, they are um, protesting against a an act which is called Citizen Amendment Act, and it has been the straw that <laughs> there have been a lot of it since. The Modi, Narendra Modi, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government is in power, um, and this is his second term in in the leadership. Um, he is just bringing new policies, and this one, Citizen Amend- uh, Citizenship Amendment Act (CAA), is just something which is a straw that has broken the camel's back, because there has been Article 370 that has been applied on Kashmir. And uh, they have made some changes in the Muslim, um, uh, their, their own internal laws against, uh, which are, they've been going on for centuries. And um, uh, this this law has sparked the protest, and um, which, which makes Muslims basically a second-class citizen. So um, basically nothing on its own, but when you read this law in, in conjunction with some corresponding measures, uh, it, it redefines that, that they, uh, Muslims cannot register themselves as an Indian citizen, and um, including those who are outside um, India and uh, even inside. They have been living for centuries, their grandparents, their great-great-grandfathers. So anybody would be able to get around this act except Muslims. So um, as long as um, you are not a Muslim, you, you, you would be able to surpass these measures. But if you are belonging to that community, you will not be able to. So 
recently, um, um, President Trump from America traveled to India, to New Delhi, um, about three or four days ago. And they, this is just happening. Um, they, they, they had lunch together. They are, he entered India, he landed in New Delhi. And just within 24 hours, it just, the whole situation changed, completely changed. Hmm. Was um, just to, just to stop you for the second. Was there sort of like protests sort of organised in response to Trump's visit, or was there, or was it some a different kind of dynamic? <clears throat> no, it was different. But Trump visit the whole the world had eyes on India, so um, they wanted their voice to be heard outside. That what's happening in India. Uh, so when Trump visited, then they wanted to raise their voice. They were protesting peacefully, and it's their right to protest peacefully. Uh, but when he landed in India, uh, so they they were trying to stop them from, from even protesting peacefully. Mm. And uh, that's when they started, uh, they, they wanted to stop them from the protest, and they did not listen. They said, yeah, we have to protest, it's our right, uh, and we are doing it peacefully. And uh, that's when there were clashes between both the communities. So um, I, I completely understand that Indian Muslims share a little bit of responsibility responsibility for this as well because uh, it's the emotional side of which I partially blame. Um, but but it has been going on for, for, for a very long time. Um, yeah, so it's not due to Trump, but uh, they just wanted to raise their voice um, against at this point of time, hmm. and I guess I mean one of the um, one of the things I guess about um, Donald Trump's kind of visit as well, actually more in relation to kind of Modi is I guess what can you guess tell us about sort of Modi's sort of political agenda, especially in terms of its links to sort of some of these clashes yeah. of violence between um, Muslims and you, because I guess the central kind of idea of um, a political agenda of um, of Modi yeah. is this whole idea of one Hindu, of a united sort of Hindu nation, of one nation um, that of, of Hindis. <laughs> they both, Trump and Modi, they both come from the same ideology. So um, what I know is that since 2017, 2007, sorry, India has paid nearly $17 billion to USA um, for the defense trade within the defense trade deals, and they, uh, Trump is a businessman. He his main intention to come to India was to sell military helicopters worth, and he did it around three billion to India, and and since two thousand and seven, seventeen billion has already been given to USA for these trade deals, and again now this one so. He is a businessman, and Modi is the same ideology. He gets this backing from majority of of the population of India, which is nearly eighty percent of Hindus. So, um, this his visit, and and the most important is that the elections, which are coming in USA, and um, there are Indians. There's a large group of Indians who live in America who are ardent supporter of Modi, and uh, they made Trump win in the last term. And uh, this visit is 
for two things. One is this trade deal, and the second, which is most important, is the votes, the Indian votes, um, the Hindu votes specifically. Hmm. And Zain, did you have a question you want to ask? Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't have the mic on. Um, yeah, Giselle, I'm just wondering if you could maybe talk a bit about the, I guess, the relationship of Narendra Modi's party to state institutions and how that kind of nationalism and, and that right-wing, uh, almost neo-fascistic approach of the Modi government is woven into the state institutions. It's not just in the parliament, because I've heard this is quite a serious problem going forward. Uh, if 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 people want to try and get rid of Modi, that's not really going to be easy, apparently. Yes, the whole dynamics, it has changed completely now this time. Modi, nobody... few months ago, up until a few months ago, if you say anything against him, that means you are... you will be attacked by from anywhere and everywhere. But now people are coming up, they have started speaking against him, and his government, his policies, and um, it's, he, he is not taking any initiative. He is not, um, it's only after three days, 30 people have been killed, maybe more than that up until now. It's only one tweet that we should maintain the peace and harmony. That's it. So um, this is the same... Um, scenario, same thing happening, which happened in Gujarat in 2002, when 2,000 Muslims were killed. Hmm. And he said to all the Hindus' right wings at that time, that I give you two days, kill as many Muslims as possible. And 2,000 were killed. Um, The case went to the Supreme Court. Nothing happened. He became, today he's the Prime Minister of India. The only thing which was America banned him to travel to USA for 10 years at that time because of the killings of 2,000 Muslims. But now it's politics and uh, they both are best friends, America and India, their their ideologies, their, their thinking, their perception, and they have become, they're bonded together against against Muslims. So... This is just not fair and going in the right direction. And uh, Hindus and Muslims have been living in harmony for a very, very long time. And since Modi's government, it has completely dispersed and that bond, that friendship is, is no longer there. He's creating religious violence and hatred um, against Muslims. Um and I, I fear my own family, my, my, my cousins, my parents, my, my aunts and uncles who are there. So they just turn off the light as soon as they're dark and they go to, they just don't want to be seen. They're in hiding. So it's just impacting the families who are very, very uh, simple. They go to work. They want to lead a very simple life. It's their life which has been impacted. And they're not bad people. They're just normal practicing. And they're not even those hardcore, like, you know, those kind of stringent Muslims who are practicing and who just, you know, show and come out that they are 
they are Muslims and here we are making some kind of a statement. No, they're just simple people. Hmm. Just ordinary people. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you think that the the kind of wave of protests against the uh, Citizenship Amendment Act that has been uh, led mainly by Muslim people and students, do you think that that's going to kind of, I uh, guess, uh, flare back up now or have a new breath of air in response to this kind of pogrom that's just been happening at, at the moment in New Delhi? Not yet. And it's not going to happen until... Um Modi and the Home Minister, um, Amit Shah, they are removed from their, their leadership. And someone with, the, we need someone with fresh breath of air. And right now, they, it's, it's lacking that leadership, that, that right leader in India. Congress is, is uh, not doing much. And um, there's the Chief Minister of uh, New Delhi, who comes from another party, AAP, AAP. Uh, which is his name is Kedriwal. Uh, he has got his own foundation. So India is lacking the right leadership. It used to be called as the economy, the, the great, it's growing economy, and it's going to be the superpower by 2020. This is what we were hearing. And now it has stumbled down to uh, the GDP of India is, is getting weaker day by day. So we need a new leadership, not the fascist. Government of Modi, someone oh. has to come up with a fresh breath of air and and more, get get everything uh, on the tracks. Hmm. Okay, so we're just um, got to finish up the interview now because we're running out of time. Um, do you kind of have any final comments you'd like to make, Gisela? We just want everybody to not that that hatred against Muslims. Um, they should get out of it and become same as we were before. Um, that acceptance and um, live in that, that society which I have grown up in. It was it was so nice then, but now it's totally it's it's opposite, and I don't know where it's leading, where India is going. Hmm. Um, so I just want the other communities to be more accepting and uh, make us the part, like a like consider us as a normal citizen, not the second class citizen of India. Hmm. Here, here. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, there's parallels there with other parts of the world, including Germany. We spoke to someone from there and, and also here in Australia. This uh, this global yep. kind of Islamophobia that's been whipped up over the last 20 years has to has to end. And don't know why. It's only going to aggravate the situation, Islamophobia. The more you're going to aggravate it, it is keep on getting worse. So people have to be more accepting and it's not that Muslims want the whole world to start following Islam. It's nothing. There's a very common perception that Muslims want this Ghazvai Hind, that they want every non-Muslim to change into uh, um, become a follower of Islam. There's no such thing. Nothing. I talk to normal people, just normal Muslims, day and, you know, an everyday Muslim, a normal person. They have got no intention to convert anybody. Hmm. So from last 20 years, they, just the whole perception against them has uh, this hatred. And I can see it. I, I fear telling people my surname sometimes. Gisela, okay, Ali, oh, okay. So I, there's, there's that, you know, that butterflies in my stomach. Oh, my God, I'm just about to tell my, my, my surname. So what, what are they going to think about me? So this is one thing. Um, 
and um, I, I am myself an introvert and look today I'm speaking on a radio so this, I don't do something like this normally hmm. but I have to speak up if I won't speak up now then when hmm. Hmm. Yeah. for sure yeah well, no, well, thanks heaps for speaking to us it's it's greatly appreciated Gisela no problem at all thank you yeah. so much thank you very much Gisela alright yeah alright thank you thanks for listening thank Bye. you Okay, and stick around. Um, yeah, it's um, Gisela Ali, a um, expat New Delhi resident who now lives in Melbourne, talking about the disturbing, uh, yeah, Hindu nationalism that's been whipped up over there by the government. All right, we're going to finish up. Come back and uh, listen to us again next Friday morning, and stick around now for Beyond Zero Emissions. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh!